So, Father, we come together believing together. I pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't have a faith, that knows that the things that we just sang about and we just declared, if they have a faith that doesn't know that in their reality, God, today may you save them. And, Father, for all of us, may we know that your love never fails from the beginning of time when you created us in your image. You have loved us and you have had a loving plan. God, help us to live and to know the reality of that. We must confess, God, that there are so many other things that feel real to us. Wanting to do what's right feels real to us. Wanting to avoid bad things feels real to us. Our own desires of what we want and when we want it feel very real to us. But God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you make what you desire and what you have planned and you yourself be very real to us today. Show us the supremacy and the goodness of who you are and help us to have hearts that fully trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I, I have to confess that, um, and I'm going to say this very, I feel like I'm going to say a lot of things quickly because I really want us to get to conversation. The reason I wanted to pull us together like this in a circle is because what we read this week is going to be what we discuss in the rest of the New Testament. We're going to be discussing it in Thessalonians. I keep thinking of veggie tales where they say Thessalopians, you know. <laughs> Um, we're going to be discussing it in Thessalonians, in Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, um, Corinthians. I mean, we're just going to be with all of these topics with Paul in the weeks ahead. So I wanted to make sure we created space to let these truths be felt and understood and talked about. Um, so that when we move out into our tables in the coming weeks, we actually have fellowship in the reality of these truths. I think sometimes we can talk about something like freedom in Christ. And that can feel like that's a whole other language. Or we can talk about, we can even say the word gospel. And it, those things can kind of feel somewhat removed from us instead of feeling like the very lifeblood and the very pulse and the very desires of God, the person who lives in us. I don't think a lot we walk in the reality of God himself being in us. We tend to all the time either look for a law, I don't want to get it wrong, so just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to believe, just tell me what to think, just tell me what to do. I'm having this now with my son who's applying for his first job as he's getting out of college. Just tell me what to do. And I'm like, dude, this is your life. <laughs> if I tell you what to do, you're going to hate me in a year if you don't like what you're doing, right? So it's like, I, I understand when we have fear that we want to just be told what to do. I also understand when we have pride and we want what we want and we want it now. And... Freedom is neither one of those things. So I, I know the reality of that. But ladies, I pray, and I'm sure there are some of you in this room who know the power of walking in the Spirit on a daily basis. And I'm so grateful you are here. It's something I'm still learning. I think we're all going to be learning that till we get to heaven and God just says, okay, I'm taking over. 
we're going to say, hallelujah, the struggle is over. But until then, we're all figuring out what it means to walk in the spirit. But I want us to have this conversation with one another. So when you're around your table groups, you can encourage one another. That sounds like you're longing for the law. Don't go there. Or that sounds like you really are using your freedom in Christ to indulge your selfish desires. Don't go there. What would it look like for you? Maybe we can encourage one another with this, having the understanding of Galatians behind it. What would it look like for you to walk in the Spirit in this? What do you think the Spirit's desires are within you that if you restrain yourself, the Spirit can be free to do very loving and powerful things through you? Right, so in the weeks ahead for us to have this conversation today to help us kind of get there a little bit more, to really understand, I mean, there was even a point this week, Bob, is so you guys, if you, if you walk by Bob, just be like, we understand it's been a hard couple of weeks while Rhonda's been reading Galatians. It's okay, Bob. We've got her, we'll calm her down. But like, I would just, like he would be working out in the yard or something, I'd go, so, like, the person of God, the Holy Spirit is inside of us. Is that what we're saying? <laughs> and he's like, poor guy. <laughs> and I go, can I ask you a question? And is he like, he's like, is it about Galatians? <laughs> and I'm like, you're a pastor. Aren't you happy that we're talking about these things? Like, but it's just like overkill because I tend to get very intense about these things. But, and I'll say this very quickly. One reason I'm so intense about Galatians is when I was 21 years old, I realized, and now we're all at this place, and we're almost at this place on a daily basis. I realized I can literally live life any way I want to. I was 21. I, I could literally do anything with my life that I wanted to. And I remember thinking, I have to do life with you, God. Where does that come from except for, from the Lord himself? But I remember thinking, I want to live life with you. And the pastor had taught a, a, a sermon on uh, John 10, where the sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And I thought, I, I want to follow you. That's what I want to do with my life. Wholeheartedly, I want to follow you. I'm in. That's, that's, that's the choice that I'm making. And so it was Galatians 2.20 that as I was baptized, I said, I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. I am loved. Who loved me and gave himself for me. He has lived the life I couldn't live. And he died the death I deserve to die. But now in him, there's a whole new life of following him that's available to me. I want to know what that is. Pretty much right after that, I went to seminary and I worked 30-hour job. Then Bob and I came out here. And then I had four boys. And now here we are studying Galatians. And I'm like, I really want to dig deep into this. You guys know what I mean? Like different seasons of life to really understand scripture. So... Um, I feel very um, intense about this, and for that, I apologize. In the weeks and the years ahead, I'm sure I will be teaching from this perspective in a much more calm, 
way, but for right now, I feel a little bit on fire. Sorry. <laughs> um, on fire, but also, I feel like I have a little bit of Paul's pastoral heart in this, of right in the middle of the book, this is where his pastoral heart comes toward these people that he has walked with and he has shared Christ with them and he has done life with them. And he asked them, what has happened to your blessedness? Like, where has it gone? And I think as I have studied this, I'm like, Lord, would you allow me the privilege of walking our women to a place of real, true blessedness in your Holy Spirit? So for me, it's a very passionate thing, but I also have it that I really want you to know and have a little bit better clue. Because again, we're all figuring it out till we see him face to face but have a bigger clue, understanding, um, release. I'm not sure what word you will put to it. This is so important that you put your words to it because this is your authentic faith, but of what it is to really, for you to walk in the spirit, for you to experience your freedom in Christ, and for you to have that blessedness that comes with that. I really want that to happen with us. So. That's why we're in this circle today, so we can kind of process these things, and then the weeks ahead when we're reading, again, some of these thoughts from Paul in different church contexts, we can talk about them in very encouraging and life-giving and truthful, truthful ways, not just, oh, that language feels very, um, I don't know, that feels like a whole other world, and so when I come to Bible study, I talk about freedom in Christ, but when I get outside of these walls, I just go back to thinking and feeling and talking like my normal self. May freedom in Christ be your normal self. May walking in the Spirit be your normal self. And may we in our groups encourage one another to this new normal that Paul was so passionate about, right? So um, I think big, big picture as well, some of the phrases that are in Galatians, and this is something that I read from one of the commentators as he said, you know, Paul is very passionate when he teaches, and a lot of times he's just like, Bleh. and then at the end of a paragraph, he'll kind of summarize it, right? So there are a lot of great summary statements. The one I mentioned in Galatians 2.20, um, Galatians 4.7, you are no longer slaves, but you have been adopted as children of God. Um, Galatians 5 and, uh, 5, 5 and 15 talk about, it's neither about circumcision nor uncircumcision, um, and in one point he said it's about uh, faith expressing itself in love. And in another part he said it's about the new creation. How cool is that? It's not about the law or the unlaw, my desires. It's not really about either one of those things. It's now about faith expressing itself in love, and it's about the new creation that we have in Christ so now we can be filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit and his desires. And who doesn't want a life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? That is by the Spirit only. That's his, his fruit. Um, another one that one of the leaders mentioned today is a, a key phrase in Galatians is, you have been made free in Christ. Now stand firm and don't use your freedom to indulge your sinful desires. Right, so we're going to look at, um, and I'm not sure if I'll use this board or not, but when we think about freedom 
in my mind, what I had to kind of wrestle through is my mind, of fr my idea of freedom is I get to do whatever I want whenever I want. Like that's, that's freedom. And so God's grace covers all of that, right? So now I'm just free to do whatever I want because I'm going to go to heaven one day. So I can basically live however I want to, feel however I want to, indulge myself however I want to, and, and as long as it's not too bad, I'm good. Like that's, that type of freedom where you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, and I know this is going to sound so simple, but for me, it really clicked something in me. That freedom belongs to God alone. Because he has no sin nature. Does that make sense? Like, I have a sin nature. God has no sin nature. So he alone can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and it's always going to be good, and it's always going to be loving, and it's always going to be great and glorifying. So, like, God, ha God truly has all the freedom. Thank the Lord he's good, right? And merciful, <laughs> and gracious, but he alone has that type of a freedom. But our freedom comes by being in him and him being in us. I mean, do you, okay, so do you feel that? Like, do you, like, I don't always feel God in me. Do you? Now, I'm not talking about being a God. That's a whole other religion. <laughs> I am created in the image of God to be dependent on God but through Christ now the Holy Spirit lives in me like the very DNA of God lives in me do we experience that? do we feel that? right? so that's the conversation so what is that about? and how do we engage that? How do we experience that more? And that's the life that we have in Christ. When it says we have been crucified with Christ, therefore it is no longer I who live. I remember reading that going, but I feel pretty alive. And I have like a lot of responsibilities. So like I don't feel dead. <laughs> what does that mean? That I have been crucified with Christ. What does it mean I no longer live? Does that mean I can just lay in bed all day and stream Netflix? And just kind of let time pass until I get to heaven because I no longer live? Like, that's not what that means, right? But now Christ lives in me. Well, where are his thoughts and why aren't they louder? If that's true. So, like, the reality of these truths. Does this seem like a significant, a good conversation for us to have? Are we all? Okay, good. Okay, just making sure. I'm not just having this conversation for myself. So, I think, <laughs> I think one great thought. There are going to be several great thoughts. And so have your pen out, have your paper out, because I think for each person, and again, bless Bob, but I cycled through every single one of these because <laughs> I just wanted to dig deep. But there's going to be some phrase that for you is going to, for lack of a better word, just re restrain yourself a little bit more and release the spirit a little bit more in your experience. And then we just keep taking we just keep walking in these things in the weeks ahead. But there has to be a place where we start. The phrase for you might be like the Galatians 2.20 or um, don't use your freedom to indulge your sinful desires. Or it's not about uh, circumcision or uncircumcision, but it's about now faith expressing itself in love and in the new creation. I don't know which one of those, and there might be a whole other one, but one of them might be no longer 
like in that moment when you have a choice to make, there might just be this little switch in you that's the Holy Spirit whispering to you, no longer. Like, look for the new life. You have new life. If you are in Christ, you have new life. You're no longer. You don't have to obey that anymore. I'm not sure what your phrase is going to be as we kind of cycle through this teaching or what. Um, there might be some sin you confess. There might be something that the Holy Spirit literally says, let that go. You're indulging that. Or the Spirit might say, you are made right with me. Trust my life and my death, Jesus might whisper to you this morning. Like, trust that. You are loved. Look at all I have done for you. You are loved. Why do you keep going and trying to find love here, 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 and here? I don't know what the Spirit might pull you towards as we do this. So just be ready to kind of write down what the Spirit might, might give you this morning. Um, so I want to start off with... Um, yeah, and let me just read another, just to give you an example of what's going to be coming. So when we read future books um, like Philippians, you're going to recognize Galatians. But at one point in Philippians 2.13, it's going to say, For it is God at work in you. So, right, it's not about us hearing these things and then thinking, Wow, I've got to really work harder. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. That is so the American law in us. So let's reject this American law that I pull myself up by my bootstraps. I make this happen. So when you read the fruits of the spirit, if you thought this week, I really need to work on patience. I really need to work on being more loving. Like that is something that only the Holy Spirit can transform in you. Apart from him, you cannot be patient. Apart from him, you cannot love well. I can't. Apart from him, I have no self-control. But with him, all of those things are in me and empowered. So it's God who is at work in you, giving you the desire and the power to accomplish his good purposes. Do you feel that? How do we experience that? How do we walk in that? How do we let the Spirit have that much life in us? How do we, like, what does that look like? So kind of keep track this morning um, for yourself, what the Spirit might prompt in you. So real quickly, what's going on is there were some... Christians that Paul led to Christ. Who's Paul? Remember, he's the one who, if anybody knew the law, he knew the law. Like he was good at the law. He was being taught the law by some of the top teachers. Like he, if anybody could find success in the law, it was him. And yet the law led him to actually kill other people. So the law is not able to bring us life. Paul knew this firsthand. Paul knew the the law can't transform our hearts. He knew that firsthand. And actually, underneath the law, Paul would have been one of the most condemned people walking this earth because he literally was part of killing God's children. So for him, when these people come to these people that he has introduced to faith alone and Christ alone, and they're putting the law 
back on them? Which I shared with you guys last week, Paul was like, hell no. Like literally, that, would, that is hell on earth to do that to somebody. That is death. That is separation from God. The law does not bring any of those things. Let's not burden these new people. So he's very passionate as, as he teaches these things. And the Judaizers, the reason they were talking about circumcision is, <laughs> so it's a group of women, but you know, circumcision is um, that, that it started back in the law with uh, men basically cleansing themselves um, by cutting away their foreskin. And it was just observable. So we can't tell how much you're going to the temple. We can't tell how much you're practicing the Jewish principles, but this would be a definite sign that we can kind of check on everybody and make sure that you're really doing what's right. <laughs> Sorry. I know, it's kind of like, okay. But that's kind of what he, they were doing, is they were saying, we need something that's very observable so we can say, oh, yeah, that you did, you did that, so you are a Christian. And that thing was a Jewish thing. So the, the conversation was, for somebody to become a Christian, do they need to become Jewish first? And after they become a Christian, do they need to keep the Jewish laws? And Paul's like, if that's what being a Christian is, then why did Jesus have to die? If, if just doing that is what saves us and what makes us right with God, then what, why did he have to live the perfect life? And then why did he take all of sin's wrath upon him for us? Like, what are you doing? So that's kind of what's happening in the book. Um, but they also find Peter. You know, he's hanging out with the, the Gentile Christians, just rejoicing in Jesus. And all of a sudden, some Jews show up, and he starts only eating in a Jewish way. So Paul has to confront him. What are you what are you doing? Let's, it's not about rule keeping anymore. It's about walking free in Christ. Um, I think it's very cool and it's a great example to us and even where we're going to kind of end the book that uh, the church came together and the Jerusalem Council, what's powerful about that is you've got Paul, you've got Peter, you've got James, you've got all these great guys coming together and saying, what has God said the church is supposed to be like, which is where we end. So this isn't just a personal thing. As a we, we don't want to walk in laws either. We don't want to indulge our sinful desires either. So it's a personal thing. I have been crucified with Christ, but it's also a church thing. Of what kind of church are we going to be? Are we going to be a church that has faith alone in Christ alone? Or are we going to add rules or indulge our sinful desires? That's what the Jerusalem Council was about. It's not just a me, it's a we. And how do we walk in that? First thing I want to talk about is just faith. Because isn't that what he is saying? It's faith alone. So one comment and something to think through is faith isn't just, ah, I kind of feel guilt. I kind of feel, um, I kind of feel a little lost. I kind of don't really feel loved. And this Jesus kind of Christianity thing, I don't really, I don't know if I really believe it or not, but 
it makes me feel better and kind of gives me a sense of I don't have to feel as guilty anymore. So I guess I'll just kind of take the leap of faith. I'll just kind of show up at church and I'll kind of do Bible study and it just kind of helps me be, it just helps me be a better person. That's really not faith. It could be the beginnings of faith. You're positioning yourself to hear those things. But hear what Hebrews 11 says about faith. Because what that is that I described is really more hope. And here's what Hebrews 11 says. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Does that make sense, the difference? I hope this is true. Faith is the assurance in things hoped for and a conviction of things that are not seen. We can't see the Holy Spirit in us. We can't see Jesus dying on the cross for us and being raised for us and us having a new creation in him. Like when the Bible says we've been clothed in Christ, like we can't see that. But faith is having the conviction that that is real. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe he exists. God is real. Jesus was real. Here's some truths that we learned this week, and I just want to give you just a moment after I go through these, just to take a moment and, and be honest with yourself, because faith, reality, freedom only come as we humbly, honestly walk in these things. So real. God is, in Christ, is your Father. He eternally loves you. And by his mercy, he sent Jesus. And by his grace, he has adopted you as his daughter. You are no longer a slave but an heir in all of his riches. And we'll talk about that in a minute. That, that's an intimate, direct relationship with God. There's not a law coming between you and God anymore that you're enslaved to. It's almost like the law is what God created and you're a servant to something that was created by God. But now in Christ, you've been adopted and now you have a direct relationship with God. Don't put anything between you and God anymore. That's what they were saying at Jerusalem Council. Don't you put anything between these Galatian Christians and God. They have a direct relationship with him by faith. If they believe that he exists and they are confident that he is good and that his purposes are good, don't you put something in between that. Second thing, God the Son, is he real to you? He also has an eternal love for you. He humbled himself and came from heaven to earth to live the life I couldn't live and die the death I deserve to die by taking on God's holy wrath for me. In him, I am justified. I am made right with God. In Christ, I have a direct relationship. I don't need a mediator between me and God anymore. He's my father. And all the riches of Christ now are mine. God the Spirit, once again, eternal love. So much love, ladies. Why don't we experience God's love? There's so much love here that he has in reality for us. He raised Jesus from the dead and now fills me. Scriptures say that. Like, 
The very power that raised Jesus from the dead is now my power inside of me, not belonging to me, but belonging to the spirit. And he empowers his desires. He doesn't empower my desires. He empowers his desires in me. He frees me, empowers me. He enables my most intimate of relationships, which is available with God. And he empowers the most creative and real influences for God. What is also real is the law, my desires, and worldly principles. So, just for a moment, your faith and what is real, your faith, because you can put your faith in the law. And Paul would tell you, you're losing your blessedness. But what is most real to you and what will you do about it? What's most real to you? What are you convicted and convinced of that is real, even if it's unseen? You know that it's true. You know that it's real. So maturity basically is Galatians 2.20. So if you want to know what it means to be mature, a lot of times we define maturity as some type of law. Well, I'm mature if I, right? Christianity is not behavioral modification. It is not a higher morality. The height of Christian maturity is when we walk in the truth that I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live by faith. Again, we just talked about what faith is. It's a it's an assurance of things hoped for and a conviction in things unseen. So I live in faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is Christian maturity. Let's not define it in our groups, in our hearts, in our church, any other way. We have been made alive to God we are dead to sin. We are dead to the law. We are even dead to our own selfish desires. We have been made alive to God. That's what the Holy Spirit in us does. We feel very alive to our own desires, don't we? And we feel very alive to the law. I had a great example. I'm not going to go into the whole story. But I had jury duty earlier this year. It freaked me out. Freaked me out. Deborah knows the story. There was even a point where juror number two. Yeah, I was put in the box from the very beginning. Juror number two. They called me in by myself. And I'm standing before the judge with both attorneys just looking at me very serious. And they asked me a question. And then they, I'm sweating bullets. I mean, you guys, the law is mean. In some way. I mean, the law is good. I'm good that when you're a criminal, that there's a law, right? But man, and I'm like, I've got good girl syndrome to the max. Like, 
I never even wanted to, like if the principal was ever in the room, like I wanted to run out of the room as fast as possible. I just knew there was going to be something that he was going to catch me being bad at. And I wasn't, like I was that, like the girl that's like, oh, you're a prude or you're a blah, blah, blah. And it's like, but I was still terrified of the law. So they, I went back out of the courtroom and then I'm standing out there just like, Whoa. juror number two, would you come back into the courtroom? <laughs> But that's what the law does to us. And we're very, we, we feel guilty. We feel pressure. I've got to get this right. And if I don't get this right, I'm going to be in trouble. And they're going to be, because what was attached to the law was blessings and curses. So if you obeyed the law, things went well. And if you disobeyed the law, then there would be a curse. I'm terrified of curses. So why would we put the law back on one another? We're free of we're free of that. We're free of the tyranny of the law. We are made alive to God. We don't need something coming in between us and God to make us right with God. We have Jesus who made us right with God. When it says he was born under the law, there was so much theology in this book. He was born under the law, which means he was the, and he kept the law. So he was the only person ever born under the law, but he was also born alive to God. That's why he was Virgin Mary. If you ever want to talk about theology, like I love this stuff. So just let's get together. So he was born alive to God, but he was also born under the law. And he was the only human being born under the law that grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus lived the life I couldn't live. Under the law, I don't grow in wisdom. I don't grow, I grow in fear under the law. I don't grow in stature. I don't grow in favor with God and man. Matter of fact, the law was given to show me that I am a sinner. And that my sin is so intense that actually animals need to be killed and blood needs to be shed to cover my sin. That's how holy God is and how unholy my sin is. That's what the law did. And it, that was a good thing to reveal to us. So we would come and turn to God. So the, the real issue of the Christian life isn't about a law. It's about a person. Right? It's a who, not a what. So we are from an old way, we are freed from an old way of living and we are free to be alive to God. So like just for a moment, like do you want that? It's pretty, if, like if you don't love Jesus, like the Christian life is not going to be attractive to you. Because <laughs> it's all about him. Really, I mean seriously, right? It's all about him and actually when we talk about Galatians 2.20 and maturity, it's about Christ being formed in us. So literally, if you are a Christian and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, then Jesus is who God is making you become. So if you don't like Jesus, <laughs> like the Christian life is just going to be drudgery for you. So either get in or get out, but don't be deceived. Jesus is what the Christian life is all about. It's a who, not a what. So the law brought blessings and curses. We're not no longer living in a way that we can manage those things. This isn't about moral management. This is about life in Christ. 
a whole different thing. We are made alive to God. An interesting conversation is, then how do we raise our kids to know how to be alive to God in the Christian life? And because we do, we have, that's a whole other, sorry, I'm making some people go there. We do have to teach the law to our kids to a certain extent, but then there's just more teaching that needs to go along with that, right? So justification is what we just talked about. Justification is that in Christ I have been made right with God, period. Not anything I could do or not do. Christ's life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension to the right hand of the Father, so that now, seated at the right hand of the Father, the Holy Spirit can be poured out on me. I have been justified. It's a done deal eternally. I, can't un I didn't do it. I can't undo it. I don't maintain it. Justified. Deborah's done a great job of teaching about that. That is the foundational truth of the Christian life. It's not... The, the highest, a lot of people think that's even the highest truth. Because if I'm justified, then this life goes on, and then when I get to heaven, I'll, all's well. The highest truth of the Christian life is not only that my sins have been forgiven, but now that I am a daughter of God. Like, I, just, I don't have just forgiveness from God. I have an intimate relationship with with God so that the spirit inside of me cries out just like Jesus did Abba Daddy I don't understand Abba Daddy I need wisdom Abba Daddy I'm struggling I need you we have this intimate relationship with God that's the highest Christian truth is that we have been adopted into God's family through Christ. And everything that is God's, and when it says that we have the full rights as sons, that's kind of a Roman thing. It means that everything that's the Father is mine. Think about that. Think about that. All of God's goodness, all of God's justice, all of God's faithfulness, all of God's love, all of God's peace. Are these sounding familiar? I inherited all of those. And not just for heaven one day, but for life right now today. And not only did I inherit those things in Christ, but by God's very spirit, it's a person. By God's very spirit inside of me, I now can desire those things, and I am empowered to live out those things. Like, seriously, girlfriends? Are we living life that way? Are we living life trusting that? Are we living life empowered by the Holy Spirit? Now. We are adopted now. That's the highest truth of the Christian life. I think one thing that Probably my biggest application, what the Lord is going to bring to me, and again, it's going to be different for every person, but there are certain things in me that need to be restrained, but I do not need to restrain the Holy Spirit. And I often flip those two. I doubt the Holy Spirit, and I trust myself and my feelings and my hesitations. And so I restrain the Spirit, and I release my feelings. I release my doubts. 
I release my hesitations. I should absolutely be doing the, the, the opposite. That's the abundant life. I want to restrain myself. I have a sinful nature. That should be restrained. And the Holy Spirit should absolutely be released in my life. I don't want to guess the Holy Spirit. I don't want to second guess the Holy Spirit. I want him to be released through me, in me, through me. And like I shared in the beginning, this isn't just for, adoption isn't just about me, it's about us. We are now a family. And the thing that brings us to the table, there's no partiality in the kingdom of God, there are no rules in the kingdom of God, except this rule to, and Megan, you brought this up, to love one another. So it's no longer this rule to be made right with God. I'm only made right with God through Jesus. But now the law that's over me is the law of the spirit, the law of love, because these are the things now that rule me. Does that make sense? So when he's talking about the law that we've been set free from, he's talking about the Mosaic law that was given to, to the Jews. Blessedness, um, it's the fruit of the spirit, but also we have to keep in context here that as we are talking about this abundant life in the spirit, that a lot of, and we learned this last week in James, a lot of our growth happens in suffering. Just because I'm a daughter of God doesn't mean I won't suffer. Just because I restrain myself and I want the Holy Spirit to have full reign over me doesn't mean I won't suffer. Matter of fact, probably if I do that, just like Paul did, there might be more suffering. But Jesus says, blessed are those. See, that's the blessedness. We've got to keep that blessedness in our mind and not just everything's going to go well for me and my kids. And I'm just going to only know love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness in great circumstances. No, the miracle is I know love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness even when I'm being persecuted. Right, that's, so let's make sure when we define blessedness that we're defining it in the right way. Um, blessed, James 1, we read last week, blessed is the one who stays steadfast in trials. Because here's the big truth about blessedness is no longer is our battle and our war with God. Before we were saved, we were enemies of God and we were battling with him. But now that God has won in our life, our battle is within ourselves. Are we going to put ourselves back under the law? Are we going to use our freedom to indulge our selfish desires? Or are we going to live our life for God? And we saw this week in Galatians that what my flesh desires is opposed to what the Spirit desires in me. That's where our battle is now. And with the enemy who would want to tempt us away from living life in the spirit. And what is the enemy? What is he from the very beginning whispered? Has God, did God really say? 
See, and that's what makes us second guess the spirit. Did God really say it wasn't by faith alone and Christ alone? Like that sounds really stupid. Did God really say that? Did God really say that your Holy, the Holy Spirit's living inside of you? Did God really say that? I have some thoughts here. I'm not going to go into them, but um, how the law still benefits Christians. The law, the law is it's good, um, but we're no longer under the law. But the life that we live, he, he describes the main law now is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And when you follow those things, you are keeping the law. So life in the spirit isn't contrary to the law. Um, it's in harmony with it, but it, we don't rely on the law anymore, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, but if you want to, so the question is that a lot of people have, so you might go, <clears throat> so do Christians have to obey the Old Testament law? No. That's kind of a big conversation maybe for somebody, and if you want to talk about that more, we can. But like nine out of the ten of the commandments are in the New Testament. So it's like they're really good things. They let us know. Um, I'll just read through this list real quick. Um, they let us know God's holiness. They let us know that sin is heinous um, because of all of the sacrifices that had to be made. Um, the law confirms our need to be separated from sin so we can be alive to God. The law shows God's plan and how it unfolds gradually. Um, the law expounds on God's two most basic commands. It predicts that God will not forsake his children because of his great mercy. It establishes the principle of sowing and reaping, which we had this week in our reading. Um, it demonstrates the value of an intercessor between God and man, right? Talking about the lamb and then when Jesus came on the scene, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That wouldn't have been revealed to us if we didn't have the law. The law shows the efficacy of a substitutionary sacrifice, how it is sufficient, and it provides many pictures of Christ and his redemption. So the law is not bad. We are just no longer enslaved to it because we are made alive to God in Christ. Some of these might be bigger conversations we, we need to have, and we can. Um, I have two more thoughts, and then I want to open us up in in discussion, um, it mentions like the law is a babysitter. And we can unfold this a little bit more, but to understand what he was talking about about then is, okay, like this is a really simple example, but everybody will be relate to it. So if, I, if the only reason my kids clean up their room is because I tell them, go clean up your room. Go clean up your room. Go clean up your room. If the only reason they clean up their room, they do not value cleaning up the room. They just value not getting in trouble with me. So basically, I'm the babysitter of their value of cleaning up the room because I'm telling them what to do. Or I'm punishing them if they don't. <laughs> That's what the law did. So the law basically told everybody what to do and then it, it blessed them when they did, and it cursed them when they didn't. But did it change their hearts? It wasn't able to do that. It more was like their babysitter. So it was the heart of the babysitter that was right with God, not the people that were right with God. So that's what it meant by babysitter. But here along comes Christ, and he does what we could no longer do ourselves, and he matured underneath the law. We stayed babies. 
having to be told what to do all the time because it wasn't in us. It was in Jesus. So now, in the fullness of time, Christ fulfilled the law. So now we have Christ himself in us. We don't need a babysitter. Just kind of another way that Paul explained that a little bit. Um, why do we long for the law and second-guess the spirit? I just think fear. And we could have a longer conversation about this if we want to. We somehow feel protected by it, like we can protect ourselves. If I do the right thing, that's just the safest way to go. Um, and I think pride. We don't realize how heinous our sin is and how separate we are from God. And so we still think we can do good and we can love. So fear and pride keep us second-guessing the spirit. And I have a lot of detail about that if anybody wants to discuss that more. I think that that is a very helpful conversation about why is it that we don't, why is it that we second-guess the spirit? But another part of that is to understand what the flesh and the sinful nature are, and I have a lot more thoughts on this. Like, I dug into all of this, so we can go wherever we want to go. I'm about to open us up for some conversation based upon this, and before we move into um, freedom and the spirit, but just talking about how we are no longer under the law. Understanding what our sinful nature is, just... I first you have to understand who God is and how wonderful he is and how from the very beginning we chose to trust ourselves and not him and we have we were created in the image of God to do life with God and we said no and we still say no we do what's right in our own eyes we lean on our own understanding we we don't pray. We don't walk with him. We trust ourselves and, um, and we break laws. And so I would, and even if we try and be a good person, if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll get a feel for even trying to be good apart from God is just vanity. It's just dust in the wind. It really makes no difference. So to understand what flesh, when he describes flesh, flesh think of self selfish ambition self-centered self-conscious self-loathing self-aggrandizing self-absorbed self-pity self-indulgence self-protection <laughs> just like and i actually typed it in the Google search bar to, this is quite funny. I was looking for more self examples for us. And when I put it in the Google search bar and hit send, the top of the list when I put those things in was substance abuse and mental health helpline. That's where the flesh leads us. I mean, I just thought that was like, well, there it is. That's what it leads us to. So we don't want to use our freedom in Christ 
not just to not have to obey the law and to be free, but we don't want to use it to indulge our selfish nature either. That will lead us to having to call the substance abuse and mental health helpline. <laughs> um, our flesh opposes the spirit and opposes the desires of the spirit. And basically in Galatians it said it keeps you from doing what you really want to do. So I think we have wants, but then the spirit is in us if we have real belief, confidence, trust in Jesus and all that he's done for us, then the reality is that the Holy Spirit has been poured out on us and his desires are just a little deeper. And so how do we walk in that freedom? That's my next conversation I want to talk about, but let's, let's take a pause and talk about anything else you want to before we move on to freedom and walking in the spirit. So anything on this side of the conversation, we can go wherever you want to go within that conversation. I don't want to get into uh, politics. <laughs> like, I, I don't want to go way out there. Let's keep the conversation confined to... Okay, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to break my rule. The, I saw briefly, there was some congressional, I just saw one little sign, sound bite of some little congressional something that was happening. Like, I've been so into Galatians, like I'm clueless. And we have Seth in town with two friends in town. And anyway, so we've had boys in and out. So I haven't div, dived, divin, do, dove, whatever, too much into But the beginning of this little snippet that I saw was this congressman saying, we are better than this. And I thought, no, we're not. <laughs> Bob's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, is that about Galatians again? I'm like, yes. <laughs> that's like, but that's, that's corporate think. Even just this optimistic, we're better than this. And it's like, no, we're really not. But God is, and his life is in us. So anyway, sorry, I just went a little bit political. But, but let's keep it confined to this conversation. Anything you want to talk about? Any questions you have kind of up to the point of freedom and walking in the spirit? Yes. Sabbath. So, I mean, a lot of people, I used to think that even as a college student, I would go to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night, even if I had a test and especially if I had a test on Monday. Seriously, what is that? What is that? I mean, I still think it was good, and I think God blessed it, and he knew my heart, but it's like, I've, yeah, so it's Sabbath. Yeah, yeah. So, in Galatians, Paul's talking about the Yeah, I think, and we can all kind of add to this, but I, um, for me, legalism is kind of the term that a lot of the commentators used. Um, so kind of that, what I mentioned, like you have to go to church or you won't be blessed. Um, but see, that's, again, that's the thing is I don't do it to get blessing or to be right with God, but I go to church to love you guys and to worship and love God. So that, again, going back to your question, Megan, of when it said we're not under the law, like the Mosaic law, but we're under the law of love. 
So we do some of the same things the church does, but for what reason and what expectation? There are a lot of people that come in for counseling and say, why is this happening to me? I've been a good person. See, that's law, that's law thinking, right? So I think it's going to church, reading your Bible, scripture memory, uh, taking a meal to someone. Somebody can say, if I, if I take a meal, then I'm being a real good person, and I think God will help me with this really hard thing that I'm going through. So I, I think things like, like that. Any other thoughts that pop into your mind? Yeah, so... Falling away from grace doesn't necessarily mean losing your salvation. It could if, you are, if your faith is not in Christ. But if your faith is in Christ and you're living according to the law or you're living according to your own sinful desires, you're not going to experience the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, you're, you're not living out your life of grace. You're in bondage still. Um, and God doesn't want that for everyone. That's why he gives us his word. That's why... the the answer to almost every, any question that somebody would ask you is, have you read your Bible, have you prayed, and remember the gospel? Like, that is pretty much the answer to every question, and then, you know, you hash it out in detail. Um, because in those places is where the spirit that's in us can work. Where are those people with God? I cannot Absolutely. We're going to see that. And again, this is one reason that I think it's good for us to discuss this as a group because we're going to, let's all be in agreement. So I don't want anybody to go back to a group and like just one person be like, let's all be in agreement that if we hear somebody leaning in the wrong direction that we say, you know, hey, we're free in Christ. I, I really want you to walk in that. So what you said kind of, can we unpack that a little bit more together? Like we... We care because we are a family in God. We care about each other's spiritual well-being. We're really good at caring for people's physical well-being, but spiritually we're like, oh, I can't judge. Well, don't judge, but care for one another's spiritual well-being, right? So, um, yes, it's really important to have our eyes and ears up about false teachers, Paul commended the Bereans. He said they're of great noble character because they examine what I say against scriptures to see if what I'm saying is true. This is the Christian, this is just the Christian life. These are things we walk in so the spirit can be more uh, alive in us and we can recognize his desire. So it's a difference when you're walking in the spirit of reading the Bible going, oh, I've got to do this and oh, I've got to do that or I'm not going to be right with God. It's like, no, I'm right with God through Jesus Christ, through his life, death, grave. Think of so many things that are just, should be just left in the grave with Christ. Grave, resurrection. What in your life needs resurrection power? Well, it's yours. Resurrection, ascension. He literally has gone up into glory and now he's interceding for us and he's preparing a place for us. So according to that, like I'm, I'm free. That's where I'm free. Um, so now we are free to walk in the spirit. What do we need to talk about? And I, I'm going to go ahead and read some things, but here's the question that I want to have us come back to at the end of the conversation. What do we need to talk about so that you know and have faith, not just in Jesus? I'm hoping everybody in this room has the conviction of the reality of Christ and what he's accomplished for you. And if you don't, please let's talk. 
because there is freedom for you in that. And there's adoption and love for you to experience in that. Um, but the conversation now is, what would it take for you to walk not only in the reality of Jesus, that's justification and adoption, but now new creation and empowerment by the Holy Spirit and that you have a direct relationship because the Holy Spirit now lives in you. And the Holy Spirit has desires and powers and power working in you. What would it take for you to walk in the reality of that? So that's the question I want to get us to. But just to give us um, a few words for that. Um, and Norman T. Wright, he said, It's the issue faced by every criminal when released from prison. Shall I use my newfound freedom to go and commit more crimes? Right? So we have now been freed from the law. We are free. But Paul says, don't use that freedom to just keep on sinning. Now you can walk in the Spirit. So this is literally the way of life that Christ's death wants to accomplish. Is walking in the Spirit who lives in you. Because, why? Again, because Christ died for you and you have been crucified with Christ. You've been baptized in Christ. You have died with Christ. Therefore, it is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. So now the Holy Spirit can dwell in you because Christ is in you. Does it, if you need to, again, if you need to process some of that more, we can talk about that more individually. Um, but you do, you have the Holy Spirit and his desires and his powers dwelling in you. And so Paul says, now walk in step with the Spirit. So I'm just going to read. I mean, I looked a lot at Swindoll. I looked at Norman T. Wright. I looked at David Platt. I have way too much information. Um, but just some helpful, helpful thoughts that Swindoll says is consciously, consistently, and courageously say no to sin. Repeatedly remind yourself of who you are in Christ. Pursue his will, his desires, and his calling no matter the cost. Forsake your own weakness and depend on his strength. I was kind of meditating on that the other day. And on my phone, I have a scripture memory thing I've been working on it this summer. I'd kind of forgotten. But 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We hate having the treasure in jars of clay. We despise it. But actually, that was God's plan so that the surpassing power may belong to God and not to us. Be assured of the Spirit. Here's the thing, you guys. If you are convicted and you are repenting of sin, you have the Holy Spirit. If you're like, I really want to walk in the Spirit, that's the Spirit. So just know if you have those feelings and you're like a little bit like, man, I don't know if I walk in the Spirit or not. If you have the desire to, you have the Spirit because otherwise you have no desire to do that. You're just hunky-dory with living life according to your own desires. See Jesus, hear Jesus, love Jesus. Um, finish the path is something that Paul would say. Um, when you are tempted... To get started in a certain direction in your flesh, think about, I will reap what I sow. 
and think about at the end of that, is this what Christ died to bring to life in me? Is this what God the Father has planned for me because of his love for me? Is this the Spirit's desire that will bear fruit in me and through me to my family, friends, and needy world? And if it's just my desires apart from the Spirit's desires, it won't do any of that. So finish the path. And I think the freedom when we talk about, so we've talked about, I'm going to use the board. So freedom is this, not the law or legalism. And the word I'm going to use here is license. When I, licentious is like the word that, the, and I'm like, I don't like that word. That feels like very unattainable. So I looked up in the thesaurus, the word for uh, licentious, one of the thesaurus words was abandoned. And I thought that's really powerful because if we live life this way, it's like we're living as if we are not adopted and that somehow God has abandoned us. That is so not true, but that's how we live. So when I thought I put those two together, of living life as if we're abandoned with license, I thought, is it a good dad that sets us free and gives us a license and says, drive any way you want to, drive anywhere you want to, drive any time you want to, drive in any condition that you want to. Like a dad has given us freedom, but then he's kind of abandoned us. It's like, well, that's not love, right? That's neglect. And it's not what God has done. So freedom is actually right here. This is life in the spirit. So we're free from the law and the condemnation and all that that brings, but we're also free from having to indulge our sinful desires. So now we're alive to the desires of the spirit. Right? And then what are the desires of the Spirit? I wrote out a lot of them. You guys might add to this list, and I'm going to ramble this off, and then we're going to stop again. And actually, um, Jesus taught this. So this isn't just Paul, right? Jesus taught to Nicodemus, you must be born again. We are born again into this with a new life. We are created new. We are no longer this or this, now we are made alive to the Spirit. We are a new creation with new power and new desires from the Spirit living in us. Um, the Spirit, what does the Spirit desire? Love God as Daddy, magnify Christ, convict us of sin so that we can be free, comfort us in suffering and persecution so that we can comfort others. He transforms us into the likeness of Christ. Um, make the word and the will of God at home in our hearts so our prayers are effective. Empower Christ's life in us to love the world. Unity in the church, prophecy of truth, increase in faith that compels us to go, make disciples. Um, he desires to heal us emotionally and spiritually. He desires to bear fruit in us. He desires that the cross be boasted about and not just ourselves. He desires for us to have uh, spirit control, self-control, a harvest of holiness, humility, um, an experience of God that is rich and abundant, um, effective prayers, 
I mean, just, we could go on. Those are the Spirit's desires in us, and it can be summarized with, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love. So now all of a sudden, it's not about circumcision or uncircumcision, but it's about faith expressing itself in love. Real, genuine faith in Christ. Real, genuine faith in Father God. Real, genuine faith in the Holy Spirit inhabiting us. Expressing itself in love. And I just want to remind us, a lot of this is strengthening us through suffering. I mean, I just... It's not an up and to the right chart, right? So when you're graphing success, that's what we want. We want, ooh, growing in the spirit, growing is often like this, right? But that's how faith is being perfected in us and how we come to the reality of the spirit, um, the spirit in us. And the last thing I kind of want to add something for um, myself is and this is uniquely feminine. So in the Bible, it says that the beauty of a woman is a gentle and quiet spirit. So for me to cooperate with the spirit is a place where, and gentleness means strength under control. And this is all on the inside, gentle and quiet spirit, like way, like way down in me, right? So cooperating with the spirit in my life where I can die to myself and be alive to the spirit, kind of this intermediate step for me that I need help with the spirit is to be gentle for my strength to come under control and for it to be quiet and be quiet. I mean, still. So, and for God, that is how he created women to be beautiful and alive to God. It is very different. And you guys, oh my goodness, how we can rage on the inside. How we can rage on the inside. How we can panic and be scared and terrified and fearful or prideful and controlling and lashing out. And that can all be on the inside when our face is like this. That can all be going on when I'm reading my Bible. That can all be going on when I'm raising my hands in church. Just because I'm doing those things doesn't mean the Spirit's alive in me. So for me, it's I know what the Spirit's wanting to do first before he loves through me is to create a gentle and quiet spirit in me so I can hear him, so I can be aware of his desires, and so I can love people. Because the reality is if we individually are walking in the flesh, even when we're trying to love people, we will most likely be using people. And that's a little bit of what the Judaizers were doing. Why were these Christians? They were Christians saying be circumcised. For one, they didn't want to be persecuted. They were afraid. And then they wanted to look good. Look at our disciples. So even if we're Christians, if the Holy Spirit is not the one producing the life in us and we're leaning on our own 
understanding of love, then often we're using people or we're cowering back in fear and we're limiting the spirit. So walking in the spirit, it's an individual thing, but it's also a corporate thing. Everything we do in the spirit affects every single relationship that we're in. So let's talk about that. Walking in the spirit. So going back to the question, maybe your question too, what would it look like for you to really have a real genuine faith that God's spirit is inside of you, working in you, giving you desires and power to live a life for God, an abundant life, making disciples, Deborah talked about. I read this week, If Gathering sent a thing out, they're about to start a discipleship collective again, and they interviewed thousands of women and said, why don't you make disciples? And by far, they said, the number one answer was, I do not feel qualified. We literally have the Holy Spirit inside of us. What other qualification? I understand. I understand. Let me go look at my library. I don't feel qualified. I need to read one more book. I need to read one more book. I need to have one more conversation. Then I'll feel qualified. It's like, what if we really trusted that the Holy Spirit was our qualification? And with the word of God and the gospel of Christ, that's all that's needed for us to make disciples and love well. This is the beginning of us walking in these things, right? We're going to continue to read about the spirit. We're going to continue to read about the flesh. We're going to continue to read about community. For us to remember what's most important, Paul would say to us, yes, it's based on Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, therefore it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me in, all, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. And that resurrection power is now with me in God. So as I walk in that now, he would say it's no longer about this and it's no longer about this, but it's about faith expressing itself in love. And if that's our focus and our focus is on what the spirit desires, and I love what you said, like when I desire the same things the spirit does, I want to come to church. I want to read my Bible. I want to take my neighbor a meal. I want to love my family. I want to memorize scripture and let the word of God just restore my mind. I want these things. That's walking in step with the spirit is desiring the same things the spirit does, letting him do that in you and then not restraining him. He has resurrection power inside of you. So don't second guess the spirit. He has no sin nature. You do. So second guess yourself. Don't second guess the spirit. I didn't get, hold on one minute. I didn't get to the whole chapter six. Oh my gosh. So just life with one another. Um, there really is a lifestyle of responsibilities for believers. And you're going to read this as we move forward. We want to gently restore one another. So may your fellowship around your tables, if somebody is going off or away from Christ or back to living in the flesh and not the spirit, gently restore them. That's our responsibility as spirit-filled believers. Um, and then we have humble burden bearing. We all have heavy loads that we need help with. 
Some people are not good at receiving help, and you need to. That's part of communal love of Christ to experience. And then some people have light loads, and they're calling 911. Like, no, you're supposed to carry that yourself. So we don't want to treat loads that are our responsibility as burdens, but we don't want to treat our burdens that are too heavy for us as just like a backpack. We sometimes need help. And then we want to practice generous sharing, uh, reaping what we sow. That's a huge thing. So we're not under the law, but we still have consequences. We want to practice goodness. Look for opportunities. I think that's another way to walk in the Spirit. Look for opportunities to love. Look for opportunities to serve, right? Use your freedom to serve one another in love. And often you experience the Spirit when you take opportunities to love somebody else. That's one reason I want to come to church. There might be a brother and sister who's had a hard time, and just me saying hello makes them feel less alone and like they can persevere in their walk with God. Um, so looking for opportunities to love and to serve one another and wanting to do that. Um, yeah, so looking for opportunities to be good because the Spirit will prompt. He will prompt a lot. So don't second-guess those promptings, right? Second-guess your, well, I've got to get this done, and I've got to get that done, and I've got to... Like, just take a look at that. You might. Those might, need, those might be loads that you need to carry, but they might not be. Follow the promptings of the Spirit, right? So may we experience more of the Spirit. I look forward to the coming conversations around the tables as we stay in this, but I am available anytime to talk through... I, I dug deep. I loved it. I thought it was wonderful. So freeing. So here's our last worship song. Love you guys. Spirit, have your way in us. We love you, Jesus.